The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com Hey everyone, and welcome back to Big Mad True Crime, where we get big mad over true crime. I'm your host, Heather Ashley, and today's case is out of North Carolina and South Carolina. Small talk sucks, so let's dive in. Edna Suttles was born on January 11, 1941 in Traveler's Rest, South Carolina, just below the North Carolina and South Carolina border. According to WBTV, she became the first female bail bondsman in South Carolina and was the owner of A1 Bail Bonding, a name that would have put her right at the top of the phone books, which were still relevant at the time. According to The State, a publication, not the actual state, Edna also owned a restaurant at one point, but wound up burning it down when she couldn't get a liquor license. Girl could bond people out of jail, but they wouldn't give her a liquor license. I don't support burning down your own business, but it is what it is, and Edna had sass. She was known for being fun, flamboyant, and iron-willed, as seen previously, and her Facebook, in no uncertain terms, showcased her sense of humor. She posted Maxine comics or photos with sayings like, My fashion style is called Whatever the Heck Still Fits Me, and Five Stages of a Woman's Life, To Grow Up, To Fill Out, To Slim Down, To Hold It In, To Hell With It. On August 28, 2021, Edna, now an 80-year-old grandmother of six, who on no planet looked like she was 80, was reported missing after she failed to show up for a prior commitment. Edna regularly volunteered with a program where she sat with elderly members of her community and she'd sit and chat with them for hours. She'd been volunteering with the program since she was 25, and even though she was now technically elderly herself, that didn't stop her. These were her people, and she was very much still young at heart. Even though she was 80, Edna was still going to honky-tonks and dancing until close. Once Edna was reported missing, investigators wasted zero time trying to track her down. First, they went to her house, but they didn't find Edna or her 2014 Jeep Grand Cherokee. With no luck there, detectives spoke with other members of her family and her friends, but they all said they hadn't heard from her. For days, investigators searched for Edna, but there was no sign of her anywhere. With nothing to go on, they were starting to wonder where they could even look. But on September 3rd, six days after she was reported missing, they found something. Her Jeep. It was parked at the Best Western Hotel in Traveler's Rest, about six miles south of where she lived, off of Highway 25. 
While it initially felt like they might be closer to finding her, Edna wasn't at the hotel. Investigators wanted to know how she got there and how she left, so they took a look at the hotel surveillance footage. They fully planned on spotting Edna, but instead watched as an unknown man wiped away fingerprints from her Jeep before walking away. It goes without saying that the investigation into her disappearance was quickly taking a turn for the worst. After the man got done wiping off his prints, he started walking to the food lion in the shopping center right behind it. With that, detectives headed over to the food lion to look at their surveillance footage. They saw the same man from the hotel parking lot, but they also saw Edna. It made little to no sense considering that man had just walked away from her Jeep, but she was at the food lion along with him. The investigation took on warp speed, and according to court documents, with additional footage from the food lion, detectives were able to put together the following timeline. At 9.30 that morning, Edna left her house and drove her Jeep to the food lion. She parked next to a silver Chevy Cruze and waited in her car. Nine minutes later, the man from the hotel walked out of the food lion and waved at Edna's car while she sat in it. Investigators viewing the footage said that the two appeared to greet one another, and the man then went to his car, grabbed a small bag from inside, and brought the bag with him as he climbed into the front passenger seat of Edna's Jeep. Shortly thereafter, Edna drove off with the man still inside. Knowing all of this, law enforcement's first order of business was trying to figure out who this man was, and it wasn't exactly hard. When talking with employees at the store, they found out that right before the man hopped into Edna's car, he'd bought a four-pack of yogurt, probably the least criminal-sounding purchase ever, but hold on. During checkout, the dumbass decided he wanted to use his points or get a discount, so he scanned his frequent shopper card. Employees were able to look up the name on the account and saw that it belonged to a 58-year-old man named Daniel Glenn Prince. Because this sketchy fingerprint swiper last seen with a missing 80-year-old had just made a special trip to buy four cups of yogurt, it stood out. Almost immediately, detectives remembered seeing yogurt at Edna's house during their initial search for her. Three of the four yogurts were left, but the fourth cup was nowhere to be found. It wasn't left out anywhere, and it wasn't in the trash can. Investigators had no idea at the time that the yogurt would hold any significance to the investigation, but after reviewing the surveillance footage, it now seemed like it might be a solid piece of evidence. They were right, they just didn't know how right they were. Detectives continued reviewing the footage from the food lion, hoping to see Edna or Daniel again, and they did. At 2.02 p.m., more than four hours after Edna and Daniel first left the store, Edna's Jeep pulled into the food lion parking lot and parked on the far side of the lot, basically as far away from the cameras as possible, but they were still able to catch a faint glimpse of what happened. 
They watched as Daniel got out of Edna's driver's side and walked to his car, which was parked all the way across the parking lot. Daniel then proceeded to help Edna get out of her Jeep and into his car. But according to court documents, due to Daniel parking in the far end of the parking lot, it was hard for investigators to see just how much help Edna needed to be transferred between the vehicles. As far as they could tell, she appeared to be motionless. However, she was still alive, at least at that time. The entire thing, Daniel getting out of Edna's Jeep, walking to his car, driving his car back to the Jeep, and getting Edna into his car, took five minutes. At 2.07 p.m., Daniel left Edna in his vehicle while he drove her Jeep to the Best Western, where it was later found. He then wiped down both the interior and exterior before walking back to the Food Lion, and seven minutes later, Daniel drove off with Edna in his car. Through surveillance footage, phone records, and vehicle data, investigators were able to put together that Daniel turned off his phone after he left the parking lot. However, his car data showed that he drove an hour back to his house in Bostick, North Carolina. Court documents report that he didn't make any extended stops along the way, and for reference here, it is a hike to get from Edna's house to Daniel's, and both are in very rural areas. It is a hard pass to think that anyone would be in both places in one day by accident. With Daniel officially being suspicious AF, police started digging into his past. They found that he had quite the history, including possession of a firearm, assault and battery, and kidnapping. According to the state, in June of 1996, Daniel picked up a 25-year-old woman while she was walking home in Waterford, Michigan. After picking the woman up, Daniel proceeded to knock her unconscious and shackle her ankles. At some point, the woman woke up and tried to do anything she could to free herself, but all she could find was a flashlight. Daniel screamed at her that he would kill her, but instead of backing down, she continued looking around, found an Allen wrench, and stabbed him repeatedly. She kicked his ass and he threw her out of the car and sped off. The woman reported the attack to police and Daniel was found, arrested, and convicted of kidnapping. It took a year, but he was eventually sentenced to 13 to 30 years in prison, but only wound up serving the minimum before he was released in 2009. He completed parole in 2011 and then made the move to Gaston County, North Carolina, where he started working as a handyman. A short time later, he got married to a woman named Kathy and the two bought a house in Bostick. At some point after moving to North Carolina, Daniel met Edna. According to the sheriff's office, 58-year-old married Daniel and 80-year-old Edna had an intimate relationship. How that relationship came about, no one knows. It's possible she could have reached out to him for some handiwork, but as I said earlier, no one really knows. All of this information combined was raising all kinds of red flags for investigators, and they knew in their hearts that something bad had happened to Edna, they just didn't know what. What they did know was that they needed Daniel in custody before he could hurt anyone else or had any more time to cover his tracks. They didn't have enough evidence for a murder charge, but they did have enough for grand larceny since Daniel had moved Edna's Jeep to the hotel. On September 9th, 2021, he was officially charged with grand larceny. The sheriff's department surprised him with the gift of said warrant at his house in Bostick. 
The house was then searched, and it was one shitty day for Daniel because investigators found multiple firearms, and according to the Greenville News, they didn't just find one or two or even five, they found 22 of them. Because Daniel was a whole-ass felon, he was additionally charged with several state firearms violations. Court records show that investigators also found legal documents, a driver's license and passport, bank statements, and debit cards belonging to a 71-year-old North Carolina woman named Nancy Rego. With that, detectives started to worry that they'd stumbled across the name of another potential victim. They asked Daniel about Nancy, and he explained that he had her documents because they were dating and he was her power of attorney. Investigators were able to prove that Nancy did indeed sign over her power of attorney to Daniel in September of 2017. Since Daniel and Nancy had been dating at the time, signing over her power of attorney wasn't exactly the most suspicious thing in the world, but because it was Daniel, it was still suspicious especially considering the fact that no one had seen Nancy since November of 2017. Not since her mother, Dolores, had died unexpectedly that same month on November 8th. Nancy Rego was born on March 8, 1951. She went to Geringer High School before marrying a firefighter named James when she was 18. They divorced four years later, and decades passed, but in 1997, Nancy found love again and married a man named Buddy. The state reports that Nancy worked as a call center agent for Eastern Airlines before later becoming a massage therapist. Nancy's friend Rebecca told the state that Nancy was so funny, she loved life, there was a joy about her. A U.S. attorney would later say, She will be remembered mostly for her laughs, for her love, and her spirit full of life. That infectious laugh is what her family members will so fondly remember. Nancy was still married to Buddy when she met Daniel Prince after he moved to North Carolina, you know, after his kidnapping conviction. Daniel had placed an ad as a handyman, which Nancy answered. And although she and Daniel were both married, they began a relationship. Nancy eventually introduced Daniel to her mother, Dolores, who was recovering from an ankle injury at the time. Born on October 13, 1929, Dolores grew up in the Great Depression. She went on to marry a man named Charles, who served in World War II and the Korean War, where he received a Purple Heart. They had two children in the early 1950s, one of them being Nancy and Nancy's brother Mark. According to Dolores' obituary, she retired in 1987 as the general manager for Morris E. Trotter & Son, a property management and realtor company in Charlotte. A U.S. attorney later said, Dolores was a wonderful mother. She was beautiful, she loved to sing, and she reminded family and friends of Elizabeth Taylor. Being compared to Elizabeth Taylor makes my entire heart glow for her. On November 8, 2017, Dolores passed away while at her home in Charlotte. 
While she was 88 years old, her death wasn't really expected. According to the state, she was still spry. Some thought her death was odd because outside of that ankle injury, she was doing great. But since she was almost 90, no autopsy was done and most everyone accepted the fact that maybe her time had simply come. But then it started to get weird. Right after Dolores passed away, people stopped seeing her daughter, Nancy Rego. The woman whose name was on the ID and passport found at Daniel's home during the investigation into Edna's disappearance. According to court records, Nancy would occasionally send a text or an email every now and then, but always refused to meet up with anyone in person or speak to anyone on the phone. Every single sign of a murderous catfish was lighting up. Investigators did some digging and found that Nancy's bank records show that she continued to receive social security deposits following her disappearance, and her account had nearly daily debit activity since she disappeared. It was Daniel that was using Nancy's money. The Charlotte Observer reported that investigators also found that in June of 2018, Daniel got into a wreck while driving none other than Nancy's car. But Nancy had never been reported missing, so Daniel driving her car around wasn't suspicious. The vehicle was towed, never picked up, and eventually auctioned off. Following the wreck, Daniel's wife bought him a Jeep Renegade. While North Carolina investigators continued looking into Nancy's disappearance, the FBI opened a federal kidnapping investigation in the case of still-missing 80-year-old Edna. Court records show that investigators interviewed Daniel on September 9th and 16th, and it was during those interviews that Daniel said he considered Edna his friend. He admitted to traveling from North Carolina to visit Edna on August 27th, the day before she was reported missing. He said he'd seen her multiple times that month, and that time he was there on handyman business. Daniel told investigators that he had nothing to do with Edna's disappearance and was adamant that he dropped her off at her house after leaving the Food Lion parking lot. But which time, after he took her Jeep to the Best Western, wiped his prints off, and moved her motionless body into his car? Because that leaves a lot of room for explaining, but he was going to try. According to court records, Daniel had an excuse for why he was caught on video wiping down Edna's car in the hotel parking lot. He said that Edna had hired a private investigator to help with her daughter's pending divorce. Daniel couldn't provide the name of the private investigator, but said that he knew Edna had become afraid of the P.I. Daniel said the only reason he wiped down Edna's vehicle was because he was nervous about being involved with the situation involving the private investigator, not because he was involved in Edna's disappearance. Obviously, investigators didn't believe any part of that, so they continued looking into his role in Edna's disappearance. According to court records, investigators interviewed Daniel's wife, Kathy. They told her about the surveillance footage of Daniel driving the Chevy Cruze to the Food Lion, and Kathy explained that the Cruze was actually hers, that she was the primary driver, but on August 27th, Daniel took her vehicle for the day. He said he needed it for work. She had no idea that he'd taken the car to South Carolina, and she probably also didn't know that he had cheated on her with two missing elderly women. Kathy said that Daniel was gone for most of the day and got back home around 3 or 4 p.m. 
Kathy told investigators about the vehicle Daniel typically drove, which was a Jeep Renegade, the one she'd purchased for him after he wrecked his other car, which had been given to him by missing Nancy in 2018. Kathy said Daniel had recently taken his renegade to the auto shop to have some work done, and he was driving a rental in the meantime, but that day he forwent the rental and used his wife's car. Investigators contacted the auto shop and found that on September 3rd, Daniel took the car in to have the AC service. While he was there, he asked about the cost of replacing the rear interior panels of his Jeep. Later, when investigators searched the vehicle, they found that the floor panel of the rear cargo area, or trunk, which should have been covering the spare tire, was missing. Following that, court records show that investigators conducted another search of Daniel's house. This time, they were looking for items linked to both Edna and Nancy's disappearances. During that search, they found a unique firearm which belonged to Edna, as well as some of her jewelry. Investigators also found multiple prescription pill bottles prescribed to Nancy, and they'd been prescribed prior to her disappearance in 2017. Among the various pill bottles found in Nancy's name, there were prescriptions for tramadol, a narcotic, cyclobenzaprine, a muscle relaxer, and lorazepam, a sedative. Investigators also found Nancy's mother, Dolores' wallet, in a black bag containing all the things you never want to see in the same place. Zip ties, a taser, lubricant, and crush pills in a plastic bag labeled Ativan. A few weeks after the search, Daniel's wife Kathy was working with another person to remove various domesticated fowl kept on Daniel's property. I'm going to go out on a limb and guess they were chickens and ducks. They had about six and a half acres. According to court records, while on a remote wooded area of the property, the person helping her observed a bee box for beekeeping. They opened the box and instead of finding fuzzy sting machines, they found a woman's purse. Investigators were immediately notified, and after obtaining a search warrant, they dove in. Inside the bee box, they found Edna's purse, the keys to her Jeep, and other personal items belonging to her. They also found another bag of all the worst things. It contained rope, zip ties, medication, a torn Walmart plastic bag with a knot tied in it, a pair of green rubber gloves, and an empty yogurt container. The yogurt was the exact same brand and type as Daniel had purchased from the Food Lion on August 27th. Around 30 feet from the bee box, investigators located a vehicle panel believed to be from Daniel's Jeep Renegade, the same panel he'd asked the auto shop about replacing. Along with the panel, investigators found another terrifying black trash bag. In it was a tarp, women's shoes, and a metal bracelet. According to court records, the remnants of the yogurt cup were sent off for forensic testing, and in it, they found all three of Nancy's prescription medications. They weren't able to determine a quantity or concentration of the drugs from the sample. However, an FBI forensic toxicologist told the investigators that a mixture of those three substances would have an incapacitating effect on an individual, even in very small concentrations. Furthermore, the effect of those three drugs on an elderly person like Edna could be even more pronounced due to their reduced ability to process drugs of that nature. 
During an examination of the zip ties in the interior of the plastic Walmart bag from the bee box, the lab found Edna's DNA. In testing the interior and exterior of both green rubber gloves, both Daniel and Edna's DNA were found. Court records report that with the lab results in, investigators believe that Edna was drugged with the yogurt at her house, that Daniel then took Edna to his place in North Carolina, where he zip-tied her hands and used the bag to suffocate her, wearing the gloves while disposing of her body. After coming to that conclusion, a cadaver dog was brought to Daniel's property to see if they might be able to locate any human remains. None were found during the search, however, the canine did make a strong alert to the scent of human decomposition, where the vehicle panel, trash bag, and tarp were recovered. Investigators concluded that Edna's body had likely been there at some point. On October 13th, court records state that investigators went to speak with Daniel again. After they told him about all the evidence they'd found on his property, Daniel told them that he'd like to fully disclose his sins because he knew he'd likely spend the rest of his life in prison. Daniel promised investigators that he would like to come clean through a defense attorney at a later date. He would eventually confess to the details regarding the deaths of not one or two but five people. Daniel said that for his first murder, he assisted a close friend with the euthanasia of a family member. He then stated, that is one body. He went on to say that his friend then had feelings of remorse and was going to tell, so his friend became the second body. Daniel told investigators about another friend he tried to help who also ended up dying. Daniel didn't report the death and instead disposed of the body so he could keep collecting the friend's social security benefits. Daniel also described an incident in which someone tried to rob him, but the robbery didn't work out well for the robber. He stated that after the attempted robbery, he drove to a rural area, disposed of the body, and cleaned up after the incident. Court records show that when questioned specifically about Edna's disappearance, Daniel declined to provide additional information without an attorney, but stated that he could take law enforcement to the location of Edna's body within three feet. Following that interview, investigators continued looking for Edna, Nancy, and any other victims Daniel Prince may have had, but they didn't have any luck. They needed Daniel to confess like he promised. In time, Daniel spoke to investigators again, and he admitted to sedating Edna with a lethal dose of medication before kidnapping her, taking her to his house in North Carolina, and suffocating her with a plastic bag. Daniel said that he killed Dolores Sellers in 2017 by giving her a lethal dose of medication as well. WBTV reported that testing on Dolores' remains later confirmed Daniel's story. When it came to her daughter Nancy, he said that he shot Nancy in the chest in January of 2018, and nine months later in September, he killed a 61-year-old woman named Lee Goodman. According to authorities, Lee was killed at Daniel's property in Gaston County, which was not the property where the bee box was located. 
Authorities found evidence that Lee may have lived on the property for a few days prior to her death. Investigators spoke with Lee's family to try and figure out why she'd been staying with Daniel and why no one had reported her missing. In doing so, they learned that Lee had led a pretty tough life. According to the state, Lee got married as a teenager and was only 19 years old when her first of four daughters, we'll call her Sarah, was born. Four years later, Lee and Sarah's father separated, and Sarah went to live with her soldier father at his new assignment in Germany. Lee went on to remarry and divorce again, and by the time Sarah was 12, Lee had two toddlers and was living on public assistance. Hoping to better her life and the life of her children, Lee worked extremely hard to get her degree in occupational therapy, and after graduating from college, Lee and her three daughters moved to Florida, and Lee started working with kids in juvenile detention. She also wound up marrying again for a short time and had a fourth daughter. Eventually, Lee reconnected with Sarah's dad, and they spent five or so years together in Arizona, but things started to change. Lee's behavior became frenetic or frantic, and according to the state, she wound up being diagnosed with two disorders, bipolar, causing high and low mood swings, and schizoaffective, leading to hallucinations or delusions, and mood disorder symptoms like depression or mania. Her diagnosis led to a breakdown, and she started traveling for extensive periods of time getting around by hitchhiking. She came and went as she pleased, but she always had her cell phone with her so she could call and text pictures from the places she was visiting. It became normal for Lee to show up randomly at Sarah's place, and Sarah told the state that the last time that happened was in 2017 when she was living in Sarasota, Florida. Before Lee left again, Sarah hugged her mom for a long time and told her to be careful. She never physically saw her mom again, but they did keep in touch through the phone. That sounds a lot like when Nancy disappeared and friends got email and texts, but never got phone calls or visits. According to the state, on or around September 11th, 2018, Lee was at a rest stop hitchhiking in North Carolina when she met Daniel Prince. She told Daniel that she was hoping to travel to Atlanta because she was afraid of hurricanes and one was brewing in the Atlantic Ocean. Daniel told her he could help her out, but Daniel didn't end up giving Lee a ride to Atlanta. Instead, Lee went to stay at Daniel's place in Gaston, North Carolina. All we know about what happened next is that Lee was seen with Daniel at a North Carolina restaurant a few days later. That was the last time anyone saw her. The state reported that every now and then, Sarah or her sisters would get a text from Lee's phone, but she never visited again. That's because she had been murdered and Daniel was using her phone to make it seem like Lee was alive and well. Authorities never disclosed details of Lee's death, so we don't know how she was killed, but family members told the state that Lee and Nancy's bodies will never be recovered because Daniel erased them with chemicals and a barrel. The U.S. Attorney's Office told the Charlotte Observer, We believe, and the evidence supports, that Prince disposed of their bodies in a way in which they are unrecoverable. On May 16, 2022, Daniel kept his promise and led investigators to 80-year-old Edna's body. He had buried her in a wooded area off Harris Holly Springs Road in Rutherford County. The land was near Daniel's home and owned by a friend. On June 15th, 59-year-old Daniel entered into a plea agreement with the U.S. Attorney's Office. He pled guilty to the kidnapping and murder of Edna in exchange for the death penalty being taken off the table. 
As part of the deal, it was agreed that Daniel wouldn't be prosecuted for the murders of Dolores, Nancy, or Lee, which seems like a big fucking blow. WBTV reported that during his sentencing, Daniel briefly addressed the judge and the family members of his victims, saying he was sorry and asked for forgiveness, admitting his apology cannot undo what he has done. Daniel was sentenced to life in federal prison where there is no opportunity for early parole. He gave up his right to appeal his conviction and sentence, so barring any miracles, Daniel Prince will die in prison. For all photos pertaining to this case, check out Edna's highlight at the top of my Instagram profile at the Heather Ashley and join me there tonight at 8.30 p.m. Eastern where you go live with me and we talk about today's episode, today's bonus episode, and all other true crime cases on your mind. To get access to ad-free and bonus episodes like the one released today, subscribe to our Apple Premium or head over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash bigmadtruecrime, where for just one whole dollar a month, your episodes are totally ad-free. I'll be bringing you a brand new case a week from today, and I cannot wait. But until then, we out.